Paul's addressing the Roman Christians or the Christians that are at Rome and he's given them the way to be able to live the Christian life. He, up through Romans chapter 7, he, and, and he's talked about how the, um, we were condemned and then how Christ has graciously saved us. And then we find that in verses chap chapter 6 and chapter 7, how Christ has graciously saved us. And then he moves into chapter 8 and he talks to us about how we need to accept by faith that we are walking and living in the Spirit. Just as we accept it by faith, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we trust it that what Jesus uh, did on the cross uh, for us, we trust it in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we accept it that by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we accepted the work of Christ on our behalf, just like we accepted that by faith, we stepped out by faith and accepted that. Now we are stepping out by faith and saying, I am in the Spirit, the Spirit is in me, and I am going to, by His power, live this way. And now Paul is addressing us and saying, you can suffer well, and this is how you can suffer well. Since all of us have to suffer. Since all of us have to go through difficulty. Since all of us have hardship. Since all of us have disappointments. Life in the Spirit will enable you and give you endurance to suffer well. So we are trying to learn today and apply to our life living in the Spirit's enablement for endurance to suffer well. And I mentioned to you this morning that the, one of the ways to suffer well is that you accept the fact that suffering has its place. That suffering has its place. Suffering is not to be predominant in our life. It's not to control our life, but it has a place in our life. And that is the place of suffering is to bring glory to God. I mentioned a couple things to you about suffering that you, needed to under, that you need to understand. If suffering has its place, you must understand, as Paul's talking about not only suffering, but he's talking about ultimate glorification, that you cannot... You can't separate your suffering and glorification. Your suffering and future glory cannot be separated. They're, they're two different sides of the same coin. And so Paul mentions that to us. That there's, there's, I'll put it to this way. There's no victory without battle. There, there, it, it's, there, it's not just you're going to just walk in, there's going to be victory. No, it's the same way. Look at it this way. <clears throat> When the children of Israel, here's an Old Testament example, the children of Israel, when they entered into the land of Canaan, yes, the land was theirs, was it not? God had promised them the land. They had that land. That was their land. But what, what did they have to do to be able to have the, the victory of that land, have the glorification of that land? They, there were battles that had to be fought. There was suffering. There was, there was war, if you will, that had to be fought. Though God was fighting for them, and he had given them the land, their condition was they still didn't have all possession of the land, but the position was that they had the land. Hopefully that will help you understand with the suffering and the glorification. And then secondly, I mentioned to you that your suffering and future glory represents two ages. Represents the present age, suffering. But the future age, the... the, the Next age is the age of glory. And then I mentioned to you 
also this morning that your suffering and future glory cannot be compared. You can't compare the two. It is, it is unimaginable what God has for us. It is absolutely unimaginable. The way that First John, the Apostle John sums it up is that we, we don't know everything. He says, he says in First John, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But the one thing that we know, he says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It does not yet appear what shall be. I can't tell you all that John's saying. I don't know all the glory that's going to take place. But the one thing that we do know is when Christ appears, when we have that glory, we're going to be just like he is. So living in the Spirit, it will help you endure suffering when you accept the fact that suffering has its place. But secondly, let's take uh, some note here this evening. Secondly, you can endure suffering... You will be enabled to have suffering as you eagerly await the coming glory. You eagerly await the coming glory. The Bible says in verse 19 of Romans chapter 8, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who is subject the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You eagerly await the coming glory. There, like you say, let me put it this way. There's an anticipation. It's like, remember when you were a child and you couldn't wait for Christmas morning? Well, what, I mean, uh, you, I, I've heard of people who, they, they couldn't wait, and so what did they do? They would sneak to find where mom and dad put the presents, and uh, they would open them up very carefully and look in because they were, they were so eager. They could not wait. I was telling my wife, I said, I, uh, I cannot wait to be able to go to such and such a place. I'm, I'm waiting for this. I'm anticipating this. I'm wanting to go do this. And there's a, an activity that I, I've got planned. And, and I, I can't wait to just be able to do I believe it'll be a good thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm anticipating it. I can't wait for the day to come. That's exactly what he's saying for this future glory that... We will, we're going to eagerly await this coming glory. He says, first of all, that letter A, all creation is, is awaiting and anticipating this glory. All creation is awaiting and anticipating this glory. The reason that there is such anticipation for this is because bondage will end and glorious liberty will come. Eventually, all that we know about bondage will be gone. So the suffering and glorification is related to God's creation and to his children. And we see here first in this first part of this uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verses 19 and following, this first part, we see that the suffering and the glorification has to do with creation and the children of God. The Bible speaks to the very fact. Turn over to Psalm chapter 96 as we take a look at the creation. Creation itself is longing to be released from bondage. Do you realize, 
and I tell you what, when I was a kid, I, I, let me back up and say this. When I was a kid, I used to have to weed the flower beds all the time. I hate weeding. My dad made me weed all the time. I remember when we lived on 900 Kirk Road, we had flower beds. I had to pull the weeds out of flower beds. I remember we were playing, I think, I don't know if we were playing stickball or baseball, probably baseball or wiffle ball or something. We were playing some, some type of baseball type thing. And I remember it's finally my turn to get up to bat. Couldn't wait. I was, oh yeah, all right, great. My dad pulls in the driveway. I'm getting ready to get up to bat. He had told me earlier in the day to weed the gardens. It was hot out. It's too hot to weed, but it was cool enough to play stickball, I'm sure. And he pulls into the driveway. He gets out. I'm getting ready to get up to bat. He looks at the gardens. The gardens weren't weeded well enough for him. As I'm walking up and I'm grabbing the sticker that maybe it was a wiffle ball bat. I don't know what it was. He said, boy. And I turned around. Come here. I said, wait a second. It's my turn to bat. He said, no, it's not. He said, you need to get back and weed those gardens. You need to get rid of all those weeds. Do you realize the only reason that we have weeds today is because of sin? That's part of the fall. That's part of the bondage. I hate weeding gardens. I hate it. But that's one of the ways the creation, if you will, groans. That, that, we, that we need to understand one day it will be liberated. You see certain things in creation that, are, that um, are, are defiled and things that are breaking down. The Bible speaks to the fact that creation is to rejoice and to sing to God. Take a look at Psalm chapter 96, verse 11. The creation sings and rejoices to God. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that there and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Paul makes three statements, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. But he makes three statements about creation awaiting the glory of God. That it wants to be free from this bondage. Just like you and I, we want to be free from the bondage of our bodies, from the bondage of sickness, from the suffering that we experience. Creation, Romans tells us, is actually groaning. And it says that there are three statements made. Creation was subject unto vanity. Verse 20, he talks about the past. It was subject unto vanity. You say, what is that talking about? What does that mean? I believe it's, it's referencing the fall of man. In Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17, the Bible says, in Genesis 3, 17, that the ground was cursed because of sin, because of Adam's sin. And, though, and now creation is groaning, if you will, for God to set it free, to, give, to, to set it free from the bondage, from the curse that it's under. So he says, first, there's the past of creation. Then in verse 21, he talks about the future of creation. Take a look in verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There is no doubt that creation is decaying. We can see it in the universe. Everything is running down. There's an un unending cycle, right? It is, there's birth, there's growth, 
that are followed by death and decay, or decay and death. Take a look at Psalm 102, if you will, please. But creation one day will be liberated. It'll be totally liberated. Nature will be brought out of bondage into freedom. Out of decay into glory. Out of corruption into incorruption. And it was many times the Old Testament prophetic, uh, prophets that would give um, statements about the Messianic age in expectation that creation would be renewed. Take a look in Psalm chapter 102, verse 25. Of old thou hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Now take a look. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. So it says, as a vesture thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. One day all creation is going to be made new. There is a great promise that creation will be liberated. There's going to be a transformation of nature, which means, guess what, all the harmful elements will, re will be replaced. Everything that's harmful in this world will be replaced by righteousness, by peace, by harmony, by joy, and by security. So he mentions the, the past, he mentions the future, but in verse 22 about creation that is groaning, it mentions the present. He says in verse 22, take a look there, For we know that the whole creation groaneth, or is in sorrow, and travaileth in pain together until now. You say, well, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad you told us that. You, you quickly, I did a very quick exposition of that, those three verses. Now, great. How does that apply to my life? It doesn't really mean anything. Well, the Bible just doesn't fill it up with words, and it does mean something for our life. This is to be able to help us. You say, well, Pastor, it's some of that stuff you lost me on. I'm not quite sure how this all fits together. Okay. Why does, what does this groaning have to do with anything and the future glorification? Okay, great. There's going to be some liberation for the creation. We know it's going to be made new, but what does that mean for me? Well, two things. Number one, Scripture is there not always just to make it just practical for me. Well, if I can't use it, then there's no use for it. No, that's the wrong attitude. Scripture is always there to reveal the glory of God and who God is. So we must understand that right off the bat. So, first thing is, God was the one who cursed the earth, and God is the only one that can liberate the earth. There's, no, there's not going to be any social justice that will liberate the earth. There's not anything that man can legislate that's going to liberate the earth. It's only God that can do that, number one. But secondly, what can be applied to your life is that we've got to understand that these groanings are not meaningless or a condition for despair. He's not saying, oh man, it, it, this, is, this is just the way things are and it's hopeless. No, these groanings that Paul's talking about, it actually provides assurance of the coming emergence of a new order. It gives us assurance because you can look around. Now listen, this is how it gives us hope. You can look around and you can see that creation is cursed. Can you not? 
You can look and see that the world is decaying. You can look and see that things are falling apart. But okay, I can see that. So that's not supposed to. Many times what we do is we just hang our heads and we say, oh man, there's no hope. No. What that's supposed to do is to remind us that there is a new age coming. There is a new order coming. There is a new world coming. And it's to give us hope for the future glorification that one day this is going to be made new. It's to remind us about all that God is going to do, not only for creation, but for us as individuals. But secondly, we are to wait, let her be, we are also to wait with anticipation for this glory. In verse 23, we eagerly await for this glory because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We eagerly await because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a taste. When you, when you come to know Christ as your personal Savior, you have a taste of this future glory to come. But do we not also groan sometimes? Not necessarily in a complaining way, but we, gro we groan within ourselves because, now listen, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Because we groan sometimes because our salvation in some respects listen, is incomplete. Our salvation in some respects is incomplete. Let me put it to you this way. The Bible speaks of salvation in three ways. Now I'm going to explain what I mean by incomplete, and you're going to see it in these three ways. The Bible speaks of salvation in three ways. The first way is, the Bible says, he speaks of the, uh, uh, salvation, that we are saved. When somebody realizes that they are a sinner, the Bible says what? For all have sinned, right? All of us have sinned. When somebody accepts the fact, they say, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that that word is true right there. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And then we go on and we lead them through the plan of salvation. And they see in the Bible how it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they see that now sin is going to cause death, eternal separation from God. I'm going to, I'm going to be placed in a, a, a position, in a literal place called hell. I understand that. I see what the Bible has to say. But if I accept Christ as my personal Savior, then what? I am saved, right? That's what the Bible says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be, that is a present condition, shall be saved. Okay? So we understand that aspect of it, and we talk much about that. So the Bible says that we are saved, but, but he also talks, the Bible also talks about, and that, that, let me back up and just note this if you will, that is the time we are saved at when somebody puts their trust in Christ. So that's how you can... Remember that. But secondly, we are being saved. It talks about that. And not only are we saved, but we are being saved. You say, well, what is that the Bible talks about? That's the time here on earth of our fallen nature, our physical bodies. It causes us to long for glorification. We're not in heaven yet, are we? Are, are, if you accept the Christ as your personal Savior, are you saved according to the Word of God? Yes. But have you been taken out of this world? No, you haven't. And so in the process, you, but you are being saved from that, right? One day you understand, and this is what leads into the third thing that the Bible talks about being saved, that you will be saved. 
So you are saved. You're being saved from the corruption. And then you will be saved. We see this in Scripture. And will be saved is that when we're taken to heaven for all of eternity. Our bodies will be transformed. Our fallen nature will be totally eradicated. And that's when our salvation will be realized in total. That's why I said sometimes we groan within ourselves because our salvation's incomplete. It's not that we're not saved. Yes, we are. But we're still in this condition. And therefore, once we get to heaven, our salvation, it's final, it's completed. And we have the glorification of our bodies. See, we are also to wait with anticipation for this glory. We eagerly await. Take a look at verse 23. He says, we eagerly await the adoption. Now, wait a second. Paul said earlier, we are already adopted into Christ. And then he says, we eagerly await this adoption. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. Are we adopted? Yes. But have we fully... Um, have we fully, physically, and uh, been able to experience that adoption when we've moved from this earth to heaven? No. That's why he says in verse 23, take a look there, and not only that, but ourselves also. So not only creation groans, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. That's the future glorification. So if you're going to suffer well, you eagerly await the coming glory. You've got creation around you reminding you that, hey, there is a coming glory. There is a new age, if you will. There is a new order. And then he says in verse 25 that we eagerly await with patience. We eagerly await with patience. We would use the term preservation, or, or perseverance, I should say. Perseverance or endurance. We are trusting that the God of the Bible will fulfill his word as stated and the promised glory will be a reality. Hey folks, you need to live your Christian life. You need to live in the spirit just like, if you will, you live in the flesh. What do you mean? That you, what you see around you, you call that reality, do you not? That this is your present reality. You live in this way. What you see, what you feel, what you smell, what you hear, what you taste, that is your present reality. You know how we're supposed to live in the Spirit? We are to live as if this is a present reality, that the glory of God, the God of the Bible, He is going to fill His Word. That, that means that no matter what I'm going through, whatever suffering I'm going through, whatever difficulty I'm going through, I will patiently endure. Why? Because I live in a present reality that God's glory will come and it will be manifested in my life. I'm going to live that way. How do you live that way? You accept it by faith. You accept it by faith that God's word is true. So to suffer well is to accept the place of suffering and to eagerly await the coming glory. But thirdly and quickly here this evening, you receive God's help and God's working. If you're going to suffer well, you receive God's help in God's working. Take a look at verse 26, if you would, please. Verse 26. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, 
For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be formed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Have you ever tried to help somebody? I hope that you have. You ever try and help somebody, but then they refuse your help? That can be extremely frustrating. It's like this, you know, you'll hear it on the news, you'll see it again this year. I, I see it every single year come wintertime. I think about the homeless folks in Philadelphia. And uh, I, I had to go in there. I was in Philadelphia on Friday. And uh, going in there, I saw this, this man walking down the street, a homeless man asking for money to be able to help. And I was noticing how underneath all the overpasses and things like that, they, put, they have put chain link fences up so that that way they can't, the homeless folks can't, go underneath there and spend time on, underneath there. You say, well, wh what does this have to do? Well, think about, I think about the homeless folks and they'll get on the news, they'll have the news reporter saying it's going to be three below zero or it's going to be below freezing and we're trying to get these homeless folks into these shelters, but they refuse to go. They refuse to go. And, and you, just, you just scratch your head and you're like, man, these people are trying to help these people and, 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 and they, they want to give them warmth and, and protection and be able to... Uh, um, um, Help them from, and keep them from the elements. And they just refuse the help that's offered. You know what the result is for many of them? They end up freezing to death. They end up dying. You know what? The believer who does not accept the enablement or the help of the Holy Spirit during suffering is no better than that homeless person in Philadelphia. We would shake our heads at the, at the homeless. Why won't you? Come on, just, just go in there. They're going to give you a hot meal. And, and uh, I have a, uh, two police officers that live right next door to us and, and uh, wonderful people. And they, they tell me where they serve at. And he was telling me about, um, about uh, many of the things that he's doing and his wife is doing, uh, trying to help people. And he said that he said, Pastor, he goes, I, I just, he goes, I don't understand it. We have all these helps for these people that are on Skid Row and that are homeless here, right in our backyards, but they don't avail themselves to it. They just don't avail themselves to it. There's a place for them to get showers and they'll give them clean clothes and they'll give them meals, but they just, instead of that, they would rather go, go steal something from somebody so that that way they can get some money to, to get a hit and then they just continue the cycle on and on and on again. And we shake our heads at that and we would say, man, come on, we're trying to help you. We want to give you help so that, that way you can have a better life and you can get back on your feet and, and, and make something of yourself. Hello, Christian friend. Well, when you and I go through suffering and we don't, and we don't allow the, the help of the Holy Spirit, when we don't accept the help of the Holy Spirit and, and take His shelter, if you will, we are no better than those who are refusing physical help from others who can help them. 
See, if you and I are going to suffer well, we must accept the help of the Holy Spirit. Write that down, if you will. The help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in verse 26 that the Spirit helps our infirmities. The Spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. Now, let, let me, this is why you need the help of the Spirit. You know what? This lets us know. You can write these things down really quickly, and I'm going to go through them and finish up here in just a few moments. But, but we need to understand as believers, we are to be walking and living in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to be able to help us. The Spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. The first thing that it lets us know, guess what? Hello? We all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. So, we, so you know what that means? That we all need the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen, none of us are so spiritual that we don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing that lets us know is not only that we need, that, that we all have weaknesses, but it lets us know that we all need the help of the Holy Spirit. All of us need the help of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing it lets us know is that we're not alone in our weaknesses. Not only are we all weak, and not only do we all need the help of the Holy Spirit, but we're not alone in our weaknesses. Every single one of us in here has weaknesses. Every single one of us in here has infirmities. And so we're not alone physically, but guess what? We're not alone spiritually because we've got a God that has sent His precious Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and, and He is available to be able to help us through our suffering. See, the Bible is just not giving us facts about the Holy Spirit and just facts about ourselves. The Bible is giving us real-life answers to the suffering that we encounter. See, it's the Holy Spirit that knows our infirmities. You know what? The Holy Spirit knows what you need better than you know what you need. You say, how do you know that? Have you ever been praying to God and say, God, I don't even know what to ask you for. God, I, 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 I don't even know how to put this into words. And sometimes you, you just, you just, you just weep. Sometimes you just... You know what? The Holy Spirit picks up where you left off, if you will, and says that he's uttering the groanings that we can't utter. It's like this. It's like there's a moving upon your heart that you just can't put in the words. Remember the psalmist when he said... When he said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You know, he said, he just couldn't put it in the words. He couldn't put it in the words. That's the best way that he could describe what he was saying. I, I just desire you so much, God. This is the only way that I can put it. But you know that it's even more than that. We learn that the Holy Spirit shares the burden of the believer. But we also learn... Here, the help of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit helps our infirmities. Now, this is key right here. The Spirit does not help your infirmities according to your will. The Spirit helps your infirmities according to the will of God. This is where our faith is, is stretched. For the believer, we must remember that the Spirit will intercede on our behalf based upon the will of God. But letter B, you receive God's help and God's working by the help of the Holy Spirit, but letter B, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to give you these bullet points and then we'll be done. There are five workings in the whole, of the Holy Spirit in verse 28. And um, I'm going to give those to you and we'll conclude. What's the work of the Holy Spirit? Here's the encouragement that we receive here during our suffering. The work of the Holy Spirit. Five truths we know about God. Here we go. Verse 28. Take a look. Let's read it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. First of all, we know that God is at work in our lives. We know that God is at work in our lives. This means that God is always working. Do you know that God is never at work, is never, never stops working in your life? He's continually working. Continually working to be able to draw you closer unto Himself. He ceasingly, uh, ceaselessly, energetically, and purposely at work on our behalf. So we know that God is at work in our lives. Secondly, we know that God is at work for the good of His people. For we know that all things work together for good. So we know that God is at work for the good of His people. You know, God is always good. He can be nothing but good. And we know that all his expression, all the works, all his works are expression of his goodness. Do you realize that God is even good in judgment? Even when you get to Revelation and you see the wrath of God poured out, he is good. You want to know why he is good? He is good because he is vindicating all the saints that have been martyred because of the, uh, because of the cause of Christ. You see that the saints cry out underneath the altar and they say, uh, How long, O oh Lord? See, if God did not vindicate them, he would, not, uh, he, would, he would cease to be God and He would cease to be good. So even in judgment, God is good. So we know that God is at work for the good of His people. Number three, we know that, that God works for good in all things. God works for good in all things. That even means our sufferings. That even means our infirmities. That even means all that seems negative in our life, that God is at work for good in all things. Listen, all that seems negative in your life, all that seems negative in your life has a positive purpose in the execution of God's ultimate plan. All that seems negative in your life has a positive purpose in the execution of God's ultimate plan. I am so thankful that there is nothing that can override God's ultimate plan. Nothing. So we see, we know that God is at work in our lives. We know that God is at work for the good of His people. We know that God works for good in all things. Number four, we know that God works all things for the good of those, to, uh, of those who love Him. God's working of good is not a universal good, uh, a working. God's working of good is for those who love Him. The beneficiaries of this goodness are those who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. These are the ones who have trusted God. We could say that then that God's goodness, there is a limitation on the ultimate goodness of God because what is the ultimate goodness of God? That we are saved for all of eternity. Yes, God blesses the, the, the evil uh, just like He blesses the, the, the unrighteous, just like He blesses the righteous. The Bible tells us that. That's universal grace, and we see that. But when, what Paul's talking about here, that this ultimate goodness of us being saved 
is limited. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him. And then number five, we know those who love God are called according to His purpose. You know what this lets me know? That life's not a random mess. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Those who believe that it state that there is no God, uh, atheists and agnostics who would state that life is just a, a, eventually just a meaningless journey that we're on. That's not what Scripture teaches. I'm so glad that there's a purpose, that life is just not a random mess. You know, sometimes life may appear to be a random mess. But let me tell you something. God has a purpose and a plan. We may not always understand what God's doing. And sometimes we don't even welcome what God's doing. But we got to remember what the, text, what the text does not say. Remember what the text does not say. It does not say that God is working everything out for our comfort. But it says in verse 28 that God is working everything out for His purpose, His supreme glory. So this evening, are you suffering well? Are you suffering well? And the only way that you can suffer well is if you are allowing the guidance and governance of the Holy Spirit in your life.